We're back with more Inside the Green Room with Danny Green. I'm Harrison Sanford, and I am overjoyed to have Doris Burke with us. I have to say, when I listen to a game or watch, watch the game on TV rather yet, when I know Doris is, Doris is making the call, I'm just like, yeah. You know, it's a little, a little fist pump that you give Danny. I don't know how much you get to watch basketball and Doris. Oh, I get to watch Disney. plenty, man. Danny doesn't, well. doesn't even watch basketball. He just likes to watch movies when he's home. But I would hope that when he does watch a basketball game, he's uh, overjoyed or happy when you're on the call. <laughs> well, I appreciate that uh, because I've always like thought as an announcer, the last thing I want is to be one of those people where you hear the voice and you go, you know, I think I'm going to change the channel tonight. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> there are a couple guys where I'm listening to them like, oh, God, this guy is the worst. But, yes, yeah, so when we do hear you, I I'm overjoyed as well to have you on the pod. Thank you for making time. But when I do hear you, I listen in carefully because I know you've got some good gems and some, as of late, some funny stuff. You guys are going back and forth with some of the, the guys on the panel there. Um, so it's been great. But um, I didn't know this about you. You grew up as a New York, New Jersey kid. I did not know that. So to have Absolutely. a fellow New Yorker on the pod is great as well. Um, you made history as the first woman to become a network full-time analyst in 2017. And now you're making history again as the first woman to call the NBA Finals, NBA Finals games on the radio. Uh, first and foremost, congratulations on the new gig. Um, but what does this opportunity mean to you? Yeah, thanks, Danny. Um, you know, it's been uh, a process since 1990 when I entered the business. And um, I'm, I'm hoping, frankly, um, you know, I've been really lucky. I entered the business at a point in which coverage of women's college basketball was growing. And so, you know, I, I got in at the, the early stages of sort of television coverage and had some happy accidents occur to get me involved with men's college basketball and then eventually the NBA. And I, I never intended on this journey or this path. I know that a lot of my success is about the timing of my entry into the business. And I know that I've been fortunate to be the first woman, but I know that there are so many qualified women um, that could do what I do. So I'm really thankful and I'm hoping that somehow if it's possible, I've made their path easier. But like, I look at someone like Candace Parker when she joins TNT recently. And what I love about this new generation of young women, like the basketball, you knew Candace would have it. She's such a great player. There's great instinct and feel and just great. You know, she's fun to watch. But for me, Danny, like this next generation of women enters the business with this poise and confidence on camera that I didn't possess at that age. And so I sort of stand in awe uh, of these women who are, who are coming, you know, coming up around me. And it's just, it gives me incredible joy to see them succeed. Well, you definitely paved the way and set the standard. So, and you made it easier. You definitely made it easier for them. Um, and I'm sure a lot of them watch you. Like I have watched Stuart Scott when my younger days, uh, rest in peace to him. But um, he's the guy I looked up to and all the other guys, Kenny Smith, a lot of Carolina guys, um, which kind of made me kind of, go into that field college-wise or school-wise and kind of want to study into it a little bit. And when I'm done, hopefully, uh, maybe get into that field uh, as a job, as a career. But, um, yeah, it's been amazing to, to watch over the years of so many women coming, you know, through the business. And now, uh, so I've been talking, you know, Taylor Rooks, uh, you know, uh, Morgan Mitchell. Um, so I, I'm doing some interviews with a lot of them around the bubble here. Uh, so it's been amazing to see, you know, more and more women come and, you know, get in, into the business. Yeah, you know what, Danny, here's, here's what I know unequivocally. And, you know, that, it, that those women that you talk about, Taylor in particular, like she pops off the screen and 
one of the things that's really been powerful in my career and will be powerful in their career, um, and I've said this often, you know, if, if circumstances are going to change for women, it will require the participation of men. You could say the same about social justice, right? If, if circumstances are going to change for black people in this country, it's going to require the participation of everyone. And um, I just, it's, the one thing I would say is, I, think, I feel like these women have a strength of character uh, and confidence that maybe 20 years ago with the advent of social media, or I don't even know when social media became a thing, but one thing I think is powerful, and you players may not be aware of it, but, but how you respond to us and how you react to us is quite powerful to the casual viewer. Because the objections to me early in my career to me doing men's college basketball and the NBA came from outside of the game. The players and the coaching staffs, whether, whether I go back to Roy Williams, Mike Shevsky, all the Big East coaches I've always dealt with, uh, and then, you know, the Steve Kerrs, Greg Popoviches, et cetera, et cetera. Like, their acceptance of me has been a soft landing spot. And I just did another interview where I, I told this reporter, I said, if it had not been for their reaction to me, their acceptance of me, their willingness to just engage me about the game and let that be the, the, the basis and the sounding board of everything we did, um, I'm not sure I would have had the strength of character to to endorse some of the objections to me all those years ago. So please know as you navigate that, it's it's powerful. No, for sure. I, yeah, for I have to sure. shout out Roz too. I forgot. I, I must. I have to shout out Roz. Um, you know, for another New Yorker, I have to shout out Roz. Rose Gold. She's been doing an amazing job as well. So I can't forget to not mention her name. But yeah, she shadowed um, me once. Yeah. I covered her at Stanford and she, I'll tell you what, you know, I have a lot of women say, I want to do this. I want to do that. Roz Goldon Moody flew from Stanford to Atlanta for an East coast game to, to shadow me at an NBA game. That girl's serious about what she does. She's a worker, man. She's a worker. They all are. They all are. So very, yeah, commending, very commendable uh, things that they've done in this business. No, you, you guys uh, bring up a good point. Great discussion there. And, you know, as somebody who didn't play basketball but gets to cover the Lakers and obviously last year covering the Raptors and times that I've had in Ohio covering the Cavs, I am excited to see more and more women covering the sport uh, as well, in addition to women not just who played basketball, but women who are kind of just like me as a man who didn't play but still has the ability as a journalist to cover the sport. So excited to see uh, the journalism field continue to grow, whether it's former athletes or just people who, who love the game and love to cover it and tell stories. Uh, but with that being said, why don't we just talk some basketball a little bit? Why don't we? Uh, the Nuggets <laughs> the Nuggets and Lakers matchup. Uh, I'll let Danny kind of pass on this one, obviously, because Danny's still uh, very much a professional or a very – if you interview – Doris, if you interview Danny, you really – you really can't get too much out of him, so I'm not you even going to try answers. here. Yeah, you don't get any answers. <laughs> I'll give you a breakdown, but you won't get any predictions or any answers. I just you know, give you vague and nonspecific things without giving away the game plan. He tries to get the game plan. I'm not going to give you the game plan. So. It never <laughs> happens. It never happens. But, Doris, what's your, what's your take on this Western Conference Finals? Well, I would just simply concur 100%. I, I don't like it when people ask me to predict. There's a reason we cover the games. It's, it's oftentimes unexpected. And I guess as I watched, you know, what, what Denver did in both 
the Utah Jazz series and then against the Clippers. You know, if you, if you had asked me for some descriptors of the Denver Nuggets coming to Orlando, the descriptors I would not have used were probably gritty and tough. And I think Danny, having been a part of multiple teams, championship runs, knows the kind of um, grit and perseverance and navigating the ups and downs of series and not overreacting to success or failure. And having been a part of that series a year ago where they lost to Portland in the finals and watching Jamal Murray have to be taken out of the game because, uh, you know, Portland was taking their guards and inverting them and beating Jamal Murray up on the post. Uh, and then to see the pride that that young man took in his game to say, I don't want to be that guy. Like, I don't want to be removed from a game because I'm the sieve. Um, I just feel like there's been incredible progress from this team. Like, we knew how good they were offensively. We knew that down the stretch of games, they were going to the Murray-Jokic two-man game and all the different angles of, you know, the, the handoffs and the screens and sometimes Jamal screening um, for Nicola. Um, and the, and the, so I touched Jamal, like Jokic, I had said to somebody, and I, it, it's, it's one of the guys who covers the Denver Nuggets. Might have been Adam Mattis or something. But I remember saying to him, you know, Jokic seems completely unimpressed by the NBA lifestyle. <laughs> and he said, he said, he said, not only is he unimpressed, he's uninterested. <laughs> like, I don't even think he knows what it is. Like, there's just this sort of, um, I don't know, you know, just innocent joyfulness in the game. And maybe because he's, he comes from another country, I don't know. Um, I'm impressed by their depth. I'm impressed by their toughness. Um, but they've got a monster challenge. Like, you know, you're talking about LeBron James, and I, I can't, I can't ignore the history of what I've watched over the last decade plus of LeBron James just, you know, walking into Boston in an absolute must-win situation. Uh, you, you know what it's like, Danny, to play in Boston. Is, is, can I, if it's okay, can I throw something back at you that's not um, strategy-related, but that has to do with your teammate-related, like, you know, you, you've competed against him. Now you're playing alongside of him. Like, what's, what's the thing that stands out sort of to you about LeBron that maybe somebody who's not a teammate, you know, that strikes you? To me, just how he's been so consistent for 17 years is unbelievable. That is year 11 for me. And I know a lot of guys who've done it for less and half the time are uninterested. But the level he takes it to another, let's say another notch that he goes to in a playoff where he takes no plays off. You know, during a regular season, you might see him not miss a rotation or take a playoff. Like, oh, he could have blocked that, but he's saving his legs. He's not doing that in the playoffs. He's going for every basketball he can. He's going to block every shot. He's going to get every steal. He's going to rotate. And offensively, he's not taking any breaks on defense. Um, yeah. So to see him locked in and his memory of knowing each play and each breakdown and who, who needs to be where um, is unbelievable. So the fact that he's doing it year 17, which said a lot of guys, half that time, year seven, eight years in, you know, they're disinterested and they lose the love of the game. Um, but so to see him take it to that level and, and be that focused and locked in throughout every game throughout the playoffs. And this usually takes that stretch toward the end of the season too. Um, but in big games and in, and in playoffs, you know, no matter who the opponent is, and he's locked in and said, this task ahead, this team is serious. And I, I respect them. They're very good. We're impressed by their resiliency. They've just been very good at what they've done and how they've come back and how persistent they've been and just their toughness, like you said, their grit. Um, this is a serious team. They're very good and young. 
and they get up and down and we have to be very smart and take, you know, take this serious and be very focused for, you know, the whole time period that we every game that we step on the floor with them. Yeah. And it's just, you know, one, one, one other question for you, because it's just so fascinating to me. And I, because of where I am in the bubble, I don't have direct access to you guys to be asking these kinds of questions, but you know, as it relates to particular moments that could occur in a series, you know, there's, there's the moment where Paul Millsap, and, you know, Mr. Morris come together mm-hmm. and it, it's highly intense. And is it possible? And there are so many moments, little, small, big, a million, right? Like, you know, think about the game saving block of BAM last night. That was so outrageously good. But like a moment like that for fans and even for media, you know, like how significant could a moment like that be to changing the fundamental feel even temporarily that leads to longer stretches of success. Like how big a deal could a play like that be in a series? Huge. Um, that could set the tone for the rest of that game. And it could change a player's mindset and the opposing team's mindset for that series. Um, especially it's a little different now. So without fans. And I think that's one of the things that dictates and changes some of the momentum of how things go in this bubble. Um, but a play like that, so just, certain guys taking a stand or putting their foot down and taking a step up or showing their edge and grip, you know, puts the whole team in that type of mode. And you know what? Some guys are saying, we're not taking no crap tonight. You know, this is where we at. And this guy's setting the tone. And that could change the whole momentum, the whole mindset of a team or a series uh, within that moment. So it's huge. And um, it'd be interesting to see, like, how different it would be, obviously with fans, but and how, how different it is without fans. Um, yeah. You're seeing the, the, some of the downfalls and disadvantages there really is no home court advantage and the home teams or the higher seeds don't really have that advantage because even though you have the background virtual noise at your home crowd, the opposing team doesn't hear that. It doesn't really sway the momentum like that. Um, you wouldn't see Milwaukee losing their first two games at home, you know, in that type of scenario. Clips the same. You know, if they're playing one of those games at home, especially in a game seven at home, most times that home team doesn't lose a game seven. So th- th- that type of thing can determine or you know, sway um, is that a whole game, a whole series? Great point. Yeah, Danny, I wanted to continue with that point. So, Doris, mm-hmm. as somebody who's watching the games there in the bubble, have you seen? Uh, and Danny, if you could follow up as to follow up on this as well, have you seen the impact of being in the bubble, being in this somewhat isolation impact? Uh, the veracity which players would play with, intensity, and obviously, I don't want you to name guys or name teams, but. Have you been able to pinpoint, oh, this guy normally doesn't act like this or perform like this, or his mannerisms aren't the same as it would be uh, if there was a crowd there and when it comes to morale and, and, and continuing to fight, whether they might, a team might be down? This is a difficult question for me to answer, Harrison, and I can only speak to this from the broadcasting position, so I will, I will really be fascinated by Danny's answer here. I'm going to tell you that at my level, I am about 75 feet off the floor with an inch of plexiglass between me and the, and the vision of the floor. And one of the things that helps me as a broadcaster when I sit courtside is the energy of these players. I am afforded a, a greater view of interactions between teammates and team, you know, team members and coaching staffs, how the feel of the game is between players from opposite teams. I have less of a sense of that now. As a broadcaster, I would tell you unequivocally, I am taking a longer beat um, than I might normally. And, it, and you know, the viewer won't feel that necessarily. It may be a four or five second pause for me. 
but it's longer than I would normally. And so one of the things I feel like I'm missing, and I am in no way, shape, or, or form complaining, because when I sit in my hotel room and I watch these games as a fan, my, I lose myself in the game, and I feel like the NBA's presentation has been so good. And I've talked to friends who, who are NBA fans who are back home in their respective cities, and they're getting immersed and lost in the game. So I'm not picking up on some cues that really help me in the course of a telecast. You know, hopefully the viewer hasn't suffered as a result of that. But Danny, I am curious from your perspective, you know, are you feeling this impacting people in different ways? Um, and is it, is it really based on an individual and maybe, you know, their personality or their character or what they feed off of or don't, because this is, this is fascinating to me. Definitely. Um, I think it affects guys individually and some teams, some teams are just, you know, they play better behind their crowd, you know, certain cities uh, like a Utah. So that, that three, one series, I think of Utah's at home playing in front of their crowd. I don't think they give up that, that, that lead. Um, and just certain individuals uh, science, science, you know, there's certain scientific, I guess, what have surveys have shown that you perform better, you know, or if you've practiced and done something over and over, you perform better when there's a, an audience usually. Um, so some guys, are, you know, they're just better players with a crowd behind them. Some guys just have more adrenaline. And some guys, even if you're in a funk or in a, you know, slump, um, the crowd will help you get out of that slump. But when you don't have that, it, it, it's tougher. Uh, so I've seen a lot of guys be affected by it. I've seen guys, some of them not be affected by it. Some guys are just able to just hoop and play like it's, but you're so used to playing in front of a crowd or having that behind, behind you, that adrenaline, um, you know, help give you extra boost in your legs, whatever speed, jumping or shooting. Uh, you don't have that now. And especially when you make a good play, you know, they're usually cheering behind. Now you just have your bench and yourself, you know, trying to get yourselves going and, you know, it's your individual self riled up. Um, it's a lot different. So I have seen some guys affected by it. Um, it is a different type of atmosphere. It's a different type of scenario situation, but have to adapt and adjust. And I think um, after a couple of weeks, you kind of get used to it, but it's still something that is, you know, going to be weird for us until, you know, we get back to having fans uh, behind us again. I think about the glitz of being a Laker and, you know, being at Staples and sort of, you know, the celebrity sideline and the feel and the building and what I've told people you know, uh, a, you know, something that I miss is I've always found that when you walk into an NBA arena, if, if it's a big game in the regular se season, but certainly in the playoffs, there is an air and energy and atmosphere that I feel like sometimes you could almost reach out and touch it. It's almost tangible, that tension in the air and the level of intensity once that ball is tipped um, and, and so that is distinctly different. And, you know, I, I, I often wonder about the rookies, like think about Tyler Hero and the couple of threes he makes late against Boston. And now that kid is fearless. And I, I feel like from a, from an innate personality, he, he might be a guy who's going to relish that opportunity on the road, maybe more than at uh, Miami airlines arena. But that said, you know, you got to watch it to believe it. You got to see the delivery to believe it. But, uh, it is unusual, and uh, but but any idea that uh, Harrison and Danny that this this championship would somehow be less, I think, is it is different unequivocally. It is different, but it will be hard and it will be earned. For sure, and and you alluded to that that Miami and and, and Boston matchup, and 
Doris, I feel as if you're somewhat, you have somewhat sway, you got, you're a mover and you got some influence. I saw a tweet the other day and I really wanted this to kind of happen because it is a bubble season. Things are all brand new. I really would have loved to see maybe a round robin between the Raptors, Celtics and the Heat as opposed to the traditional uh, best of seven because the, the, the basketball that was being played between the Raptors and the Celtics was so much fun. But, you know, that's, that's another story for another day. Yeah. Um, but if you could bring that up, you know, it was a bubble season, who knows? But really, though, uh, can, we, can you give us your evaluation of the Celtics and the Heat series? Obviously, you alluded to Tyler Hero uh, playing well as a, as a rookie, obviously with no fans, it might help him. Uh, how do you evaluate that, that series, and, and what should people be looking out for when they're yeah. trying to uh, make their own predictions? Yeah, I, I expected that to be long and hard fought. I mean, these two teams have really stood out on the defensive end. They're hard playing. They're smart. They're second and third, respectively, and loose balls recovered. So, like, every little piece of it, and it's the same for every team at this point, every little piece of real estate is so hotly contested. You know, you go into it thinking naturally – there are four legitimate scorers on Boston. Um, what stood out to me last night are two things about that game. Um, the Miami Heat bullied Boston in the paint, absolutely bullied them, doubled up the number at some point, I think it was 48-26. And Jimmy Butler, um, while he has shot the three well here, he's basically said, I'm coming into the paint and I'm gonna score or I'm gonna get free throws. Um, and he did it last night and he did it last night decisively against the guy who is the number one effective field goal percentage against here. And that's been Jason Tatum. Like Jason has become a legit two-way force. And I just don't think Harrison and, and Danny, I'd love your take on this. I am watching Kemba Walker who normally in pick and roll is elite. And he gets into that pull up three game off pick and roll action so quickly, or he's using that cross or the, the, that, that elite break, stop, start, go to get by people. And I didn't see either. And so without Hayward for however long you're without him, you, you're, you're not going to be able to survive, you know, sort of that performance from Kemba. Am I crazy? <laughs> no, you're, you're 100% correct. And that, I said they go as far as Kemba goes. Um, and I think that that Toronto series um, went longer because of Kemba's, you know, I wouldn't say inconsistency, but the certain games that he didn't, play as well as, as people expected him to. So usually attack the bigs, usually attacks the slow-footed bigs, whether it's Marcus Hall or Sergi Baca. But now said him even attacking some of their bigs. Um, but Bam is very athletic, and they have guys that can switch down the line. But still, him being more aggressive, even if he's not making shots, but him being more aggressive opens up the floor for them more. Said, and until Gordon get, and Marcus Smart is the X factor for them right now. But it is a, said a very high-level playing both on both ends of the floor. Two, two teams very well coached. Um, and it's going to be a seven-game series, I think. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it would be different. So I would it would be very interesting to see how some of those younger guys would play in front of the road crowds. Um, some of them might, you know, live in the moment. Some of them might, you know, stiffen. You don't know. But you know, I think Boston might have a, a little bit of an edge with the experience, maybe not so much more, just a couple of years, because Miami has do have three rookies that they play with uh, right. Nunn, Hero, and Duncan Robinson. But those guys have been playing well. Um, so, so it's going to be interesting. I think it's a seven-game series, especially with the way – the two coaches that have you know been playing this chess match, but Boston goes as far as Kemba goes, and if Kemba starts playing his normal self or even above, a step above how he's been in the past on, on big stages, um, I think Boston will, will will get the edge. All right, all right, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This show is brought to you by Jack in the Box. 
Order your favorites like Jumbo Jacks, Curly Fries, or two tacos all day, every day using their mobile app, drive-thru, or delivery. Appreciate that breakdown. Uh, I still didn't get a prediction from either of you, but I guess I wasn't going to get that anyway. <laughs> no, no, not for me. So, Doris, you, you've uh, broken down to us how you've been a front row seat at the actions of the NBA players um, and also a front row seat of keeping the spotlight on racial tension in the U.S. Uh, what recommendations would you make to guys leaving the bubble um, as they go home to their respective cities? and guys that are still competing here for a championship? Well, first of all, I'm going to just say that I have such respect and admiration for all of these NBA players who have come down here because I feel like that was a moral dilemma for many of you um, about what is, what is the right thing, what is the most impactful thing for us to do. And I'm just going to be really honest with you here and say, you know, I, I – don't know what it is to be black in America. I have since 2016 working on NBA countdown with Avery Johnson and Jalen Rose, and then with Chauncey Billups, um, you know, listened to some things in the course of that last presidential election that had I not been working with black people, I would have been unaware of. And it, it triggered this uh, path of some reading. So, you know, Michael Eric Dyson's book, Stamped from the Beginning, um, I, I just downloaded White Fragility. So I will tell you I'm in the process of sort of educating myself, Danny. Um, and I had some trepidation as it relates to this. I knew my primary partner would be Mark Jones here. And forgive me, I'll, I'll circle back to what you asked me. Um, but I'm just going to share sort of what it was like for me here as it relates to that. You know, Mark Jones, over 20 years, my primary partner, has become a friend. I know Sarah, his wife. I know his three children. And so we are beyond colleagues. We've become friends over 20 years. And Mark had spoken on some conference calls and shared some stories that were incredibly difficult for him to share and so obviously painful. And as a broadcaster, you know, I came down here with the thought that there were three things that were important. First and foremost, as it always is, is the priority is to cover the NBA game directly in front of us and to share the stories of those players, to try to bring the viewer as close to what we are fortunate enough to be covering. The second is social justice aspect, which at one point put into the minds of you players whether or not to come. And once you decided to come, we have to, to cover the content as you drive it, meaning what is important to you men we need to make sure we're helping get that message out. And then the third thing is the uniqueness of the bubble. And when Mark would speak about social justice, or if I happened to bring it up, he did it more often than me. I had this choice to make, you know, sometimes the power of his words and the pain in his voice, I thought needed to just land on the viewer's ears and just let it sink. Or sometimes I might say something in the hopes of maybe amplifying or you know, co-signing or whatever the case may be. So first and foremost, that was my point. Like I have respect for what you guys have done down here and for the league's cooperation in it. You know, I'm a believer in two things. You know, the most powerful tools we have at our disposal are our vote and the way we spend the, the, the discretionary money in our lives. Right, look, those are if we have any, and, and those are powerful things. You know, what charities do you give to? Um, where do you spend your time? 
And the third thing I would say is education is incredibly important. I'm the last of eight children. I grew up in a very poor household. When my brothers and sisters were young, my parents struggled to put enough food on the table for their eight children. And so education was not important in my home. Without that basketball scholarship, Danny, I, I've said this often, I'd be a waitress on the Jersey Shore as a low-income person in this country. I have been blessed because of the game of basketball. And so I would say vote, put your money where your mouth is, and make sure you're, you're somehow contributing to education. Those are the causes I give to. If it's education-related, I would like to help contribute because I know in my own life the one thing that changed my life from what could have been a distinctly different path was my basketball scholarship and the education I received at Providence College. So, so here, and the other thing I'd say is, Danny, like, and I think Mike Green has tried to impress this upon our viewers, is the fact of the matter is NBA players have been involved in their communities for a long time. And, you know, the moment had to be met, and it's been met with force and, and unity. But the fact of the matter is you guys – by and large, have been trying to make a difference in your communities long before this. And, and for that, too, I am thankful. And for that, too, I am appreciative. Thank you. Very, very well said. Uh, Harrison, I know you got a... I don't want to keep Danny, you too long, Doris. Danny, Danny, so humble. <laughs> Just thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I agree 100%. Um, you know, a lot of things we're, we're pushing for, education reform. Um, police yes. reform, a lot of things here, and everybody has on the back of their jerseys so many different things, and, and hopefully those things keep continue to stand out. We continue to use our platform. Hopefully, we keep winning games. But as we're here, and then when we leave, hopefully, guys continue to use that platform um, in their respective cities. Um, but Harrison, did you? Uh, yeah, I don't yeah, want to keep we... her too long, so I don't know if you want to go into a different lane or, or switch over to something oh. different. Well, we could we could drive we could drive this one home. Um, Doris, I, I do commend you, and I, I listened to what, when you and Mark are doing the game. Uh, there's a, a nice balance, an entertaining balance that you guys have found between talking about social justice and still covering the game. Uh, so I commend you for that. And you m mentioned Mike Breen. And so now that as we're getting ready to go here, so Mike Breen says, bang, or when, yeah. or when yeah. Luka Doncic is hitting a step back, uh, yeah. he says double bang. Um, yeah. And Mark, jo Mark Jackson says, hand down, man down. Now, well, mama, um, mama, there goes that man. Mama, there goes that man. Yeah. So Mark Jones, even though I haven't met him, I have met he, his brothers in Toronto. So he was, uh, we've been, he'd been, been friendly with him. Um, Paul, Jones. Paul Jones, shout out to Paul Jones. Uh, so it was January of last year. It was a game at Scotiabank Arena. Yeah. And uh, the Raptors were playing the Blazers. And Mark, after Danny hit a three, I think it was over C.J. McCollum. This has to be one of the highlights of our podcast. <laughs> Mark Jones goes, Danny Green, as, they're go as we're going into break, Danny, uh, Mark Jones goes, Danny Green says, meet me inside the green room. <laughs> Commercial. <laughs> it was great. I pumped my fist. I was so happy. Danny, obviously you were playing. You didn't get to hear it. <laughs> uh, did, you know, did you know about that, Danny? I seen the highlight afterwards. It was a, it was a huge... <laughs> Shout out from Brian. I, I loved it. He usually says, tar, yeah. I usually get the Tar Heel triple for most, most of the time. But like said, it's <laughs> there you go. It's a good one. So, Danny, Doris is calling the finals. And obviously, mm -hmm. she's been calling games. Mm -hmm. So, while you have her here now, 
if you make it to the finals, you might as well make a plea or a request. Let's say maybe you have to do something spectacular, like four, five threes in a quarter. But if you want to shoot your shot, this is your time to get you know to sneak in a promo no, in a big man. time game, bro. I'm I'm simple, man. I'm easy. I don't need any. I don't need anything spectacular or anything like that. Um, <laughs> just, there's something subtle. Well, just something subtle. Dude. I like to if bring you it back threes, to, you might, if I hit you know? eight threes, I would like to bring it back to um, try to, you know, keep it back to the, the, the what's important, the bigger picture, and everybody, what they have in their jerseys and what's on my jersey is how many more. Um, yeah. We could bring it to that. We could bring it to something else. You know, I, I'd rather keep it, um, you know, back to the social injustice platform if we can, if I may. I haven't thought of anything specific yet, but if there's something I can think of, that can you know, you know, remind people of that uh, picture or of what we're still pushing for, um, and those names, those people's names. Um, I'll come up with something, but right now I don't have anything. That's no, that you, that's the right answer. We are in. That's that's the right answer. Listen, I'm 54. I'm sitting here smiling that he wants to go back to something far more important than basketball. Like this, basketball's basketball under the day, but you know that, that's definitely. Right? Like those 48 minutes are important and the most important 48 minutes, but obviously, you know, there, and I, I have to say like, I am normally a half, a glass half full, super positive. You know, both of my children have said to me recently, mom, we feel like something's weighing on your spirit or some, you know, just sort of like heavier about you. And, um, but I saw something around which I took some solace. There was a poll and I don't remember um, exactly who did it. But it did say that by and large, Americans, um, you know, are in agreement about far more than they're in disagreement. And one of the things they talked about is Americans agree that there should be equality. And, and whether we're talking about in, in interactions with the police or economically or educationally. And I have to say, I have grasped so hard onto that pole and that piece of information, I thought, okay, you know, if we are united, because there is nothing political, not one single sentiment about equality being political. This is a human issue, not a political issue. Agreed. Uh, that, Doris, we appreciate your time. Uh, we, I am looking forward to you so hearing much. your call uh, on the NBA Finals. Me too. Hopefully breaking down how Danny shoots a lot better when he takes a sidestep and then <laughs> shoots the three or gets the, what's the call, Danny? The, what's the, the fly by reload, the fly by reload. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Have, <laughs> have you seen Max is nice on Twitter. Do your fly by reload. Yeah, he's, 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 he's another cyber bully out there making fun of my run and how I, how I run, yeah, how I run down the court. He's funny. He's my guy. Great dude. Very good at impersonating people. So yeah, I've watched him funny. It is. It's incredible. Guys, really, this has been so much fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you Thanks, so much. Thanks, Doris.